0: Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. How are you doing? You're good. Who's good? Okay, that's fantastic. Seems like a lot of big kids going out there. (laughs) Gone to grab their coffee, I think. Okay. We are looking at leadership over this season. Um, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's been been a topic we have um, pushed down the list of things we talk about. There was a season in Hillside where all we talked about was leadership. Um, and it feels like for a few years we have kind of spoken softly about leadership but really sensing it is a time and a season and a necessity to bring the topic right back to the front for us. Um, And we spoke a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about um, the benefits uh, that a leader brings. Why do we, what's the point of a leader? What does a leader add into our environment? And we spoke about a leader bringing us focus bringing us courage, and bringing us security. Um, And if if you want to revisit those, please feel free to do so. But I want to move on today and talk about how we respond to leadership. I'd like to read Ephesians 4, the first 13 verses. If you have your Bibles with you, or your phones, or whatever else. Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says, I... In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'm going to end there, even though it's right in the middle of a sentence, because Paul's sentences are really long. And if you persist to the end, you kind of miss the point sometimes. So, So there is a picture of God bringing leadership. Those are leadership gifts that Paul is speaking about in the life of the church. I want to speak today about how we respond to leadership. How does leadership function in a community like the local church? And I want to give us, first of all, two really bad pictures, just so that we can laugh at them and say, ha, 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 we know it's not like that. But I I trust in doing that we can kind of diffuse some probably unhelpful baggage that we have brought with us along the way, all that we've acquired along the way. So if you can allow us to laugh together and maybe set aside quietly some things that are no longer helpful and probably never were helpful for us. Because the first picture, if I can explain what I mean, is, is the picture of the army. So leadership needs to function as it does in the army. Who's done army here? Alright, there's a few few people left. I bless God never did army. I was UK, I did one year in the cadet force at school, which was all I had to do, and I marched up and down in a really itchy uniform um, and stopped doing that as soon as I possibly could. So I don't know really what army is about, but I do know this: that army operates on a chain of command. And and the thinking historically has been this, that we have imported into the church, that there is also a chain of command. We haven't really spelt it out, but it runs something like this, that God speaks to the apostle. Is that right? Do you know where I'm going with this? And the apostle speaks to the pastor, and the pastor speaks to the deacons, and then the deacons speak to the people and tell us what to do. And there's this, this kind of trickle down from God who is three, four levels above us through a lot of human intermediaries to actually instruct us in what we ought to be doing. And out of that is an expectation of obedience. Okay, if you're in the army, you obey the commands. There, there is not a lot of room for negotiation. Is that right? You guys who have been in the army. You don't get to question things, you don't get to have your own opinion. you just obey That's what this thing looks like and and this is a style of leadership an, an understanding of leadership um, that actually breeds fear. It's a style of or a way of doing things where dissension actually becomes. Sinful. Is that right? Do you understand what I'm saying? To, to say no to question to whatever actually becomes an offense against the system. So it is a fear-based leadership. It lends itself hugely to manipulation because the implication is, well, if you don't do what I'm saying, then God will be mad at you. Okay, because I am his anointed leader. You know? Therefore, God will back me up. And he will zap you in a bad way, not this kind of zapper, a bad kind of zap. So, so, so it breeds fear, it breeds manipulation, it breeds control, it breeds a whole lot of stuff that we, as a church, have said we need to move beyond that way of thinking about things. And historically, if we're honest, it's been there. We've maybe said it very nicely Churches have said it with velvet gloves, but that's kind of been the heart intention in the way things have operated. And we we have justified this largely on the basis of one story from the Gospels where the centurion comes to Jesus because his guy is sick, he's about to die, and he says these words to Jesus, I too am a man under authority, saying to this one, come, and he comes, that one, go, and he goes. Therefore, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is gobsmacked. It's great when Jesus gets gobsmacked, isn't it? That's, that's sort of a key moment in Scripture. He says, he was amazed at his faith. And he said the word, go your way, and your servant will be healed. And we've taken that, and we've said, aha, here is, this, this is how God does things when we know our place, when we know what it is to be, quote, under authority. And out of this has been developed a theology of spiritual covering. Do you know what I'm talking about there? That if you are under authority, God will work for you and you'll be in a good place. But if you are a rebellious, dissentious soul then you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place. And I want to say as categorically as I possibly can today, there is only one spiritual covering that any of us need, and that is the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus. That is our spiritual covering. And if we are in a place where we don't necessarily agree with what our leader is saying, that does not make us of itself vulnerable to spiritual attack or anything else. And I want to break the fear and the control that operates through this so-called doctrine of spiritual covering. So if you think about what the centurion is saying, he's saying, I am an army man. And as an army man, I understand that when I give a command, I expect it to happen. And just as I have no problem seeing that, I can see that you can give a command over sickness and expect it to happen. He's not propounding a new theology of how leadership ought to work in the church. And Jesus wasn't amazed because suddenly he had a revelation of of how to lead in the kingdom. Simply the centurion said, in my life this is how authority works. And in your life, I can see you exercising authority over sickness. The scripture speaks in the New Testament certainly not of God giving us authority over people. It speaks of us being given authority over sickness, over demons, over all the work of the enemy. It doesn't speak of us being given authority over people so that's the first bad picture is the army change of command Ephesians 4 verse 6 where we just read Paul says there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all the kingdom of heaven is the shallowest leadership structure that has ever been conceived of there is one God who is over all Okay, that's a seriously broad leadership structure. That's, that's what this thing looks like. Okay. So that's, that's one model that we have been walking out of as a church in South Africa over 20, 30 years or so. But maybe we still carry some of the baggage, some of the remnants of that. And you're looking at me really worried at this stage. It's Okay. We're going to get somewhere good with this. The other bad, bad model that I want to put out there is called the customer service model, which says that I'm the customer, and the leader is there to service my needs. Okay? And I think, if we're honest, we're far closer to that understanding of how leadership operates. All right? Who's a customer here this morning? Mm-hmm. Seriously. So, it works something a little bit like this. I wonder what he's going to serve up today. Okay, I wonder what he's got for us. Well, it's easy because we put the specials of the day up on our board every week. And today we have our special of the day is a lightly grilled church camp in the Berg, seasoned with freshly ground fun and fellowship, and a side-serving of inspiring inspiring worship. Okay. And we listen to this offering and we think, nah, don't feel like that. Has he got anything else? What else is on the menu? Maybe the next notice will be something a little bit more exciting and appealing. And it's rooted in a consumerist culture, which says that I position myself automatically as a kind of an arbiter over what I like and what I don't like. It's rooted also, I believe, in a misunderstanding of servant leadership, and we'll come back to servant leadership in a minute. But It's rooted on the wrong person hearing the wrong message. It's rooted in, I think, this dangerous thought that can take us so, so badly wrong, which says, if I don't feel like it, it wouldn't be authentic to do it. And my feelings become the the, the, the way I assess what is authentic and what's not authentic. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I will only do the things I feel like doing because that's what authenticity is, isn't it? And surely God wants us to be authentic. And I want to lovingly and warmly suggest today that sometimes authenticity might well look like doing things we don't feel like doing. And we know that, but I just want to remind us of that today. So that's the second bad picture and the kingdom picture that obviously we need to come to is, is what is this thing of leadership about? And there's four points for me in this. The first is that obedience is a central word in the kingdom of God. It really is. But the focus of our obedience is God. And all those verses which talk about husband, wives, submit to your husbands, slaves and masters, it's as unto the Lord. And and the the ultimate focus of any obedience that we walk in is to God himself. But that obedience is not an option. I want to read you some verses because we, we kind of grow a little bit blind to these. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. Paul speaks, he says, of The Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The obedience of faith. That's a really interesting phrase, that, isn't it? That faith looks like obedience. That's an interesting phrase. Hebrews five nine. Says, um, although he was a son, he learnt obedience. Jesus learnt obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 1 Peter 1 2. Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And in 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, we make it our aim to please him. I want us to get a picture today of, of actually there is this central orientation in our lives which needs to be directed towards obedience to God. The scripture speaks of obedience to the gospel, obedience to Jesus, but, but that is, that's a central Disposition, that's the way we position ourselves fundamentally. This is not an option. He is the only wise God. He is the good God. And therefore it makes absolutely no sense to do anything other than position ourselves to obey him. So the life that he gives us is not actually a life of self-determination. It's not actually a life of self-actualization. It's not about discovering myself. It is fundamentally about obeying him. And in obeying him, I'm sure I do discover myself. But there is an order in these things. Romans 8 says, As many as are led by the Spirit... That is, that is not, those are the sons of God. That is not an optional lifestyle for the spiritual people. You know those who hear the Spirit every day? Don't you envy people who hear the Spirit of God speaking to them every other minute? I think I wish I heard the Spirit doing that for me. This is actually not an option. This is, this is the lifestyle that we are called into. This is what needs to work for us. So I am not God. Can you say that? I am not God. I mean it. Please say it. I am not God. That's such a relief, isn't it? Isn't it good to finally get to that point of realizing I am not God? And therefore the possibility exists of a difference of opinion between me and God. Is that right? That's what it means for me not to be another person, that we can have a different opinion, a different perspective on things. And and in this matter of how we handle that, again, we've, we've erred from one extreme to another extreme. If you go back 20 years, 30 years, there was this huge, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. And we are reminded of this huge gap between who we are and who God is. And therefore, a life of obedience looks like a constant, daily, massive struggle to do things which are so far removed from the natural inclinations of our heart that we die daily with Paul and we crucify the flesh and we we live in this space of almost striving to be obedient people because God is so far removed and we are so far away. And that was then, and we've been on a long journey to falling off the other side of the horse, which says that I am a son of God, and he totally loves me, and he puts this coat of amazing colours all over me, and he thinks I'm amazing and actually, God's will becomes identified entirely with my own desires. And that's falling off the horse in the other direction. And, and, and the one side says the gap between me and God is huge, and the other side says the gap between me and God doesn't exist at all. In fact, to find God's will, all I need to do is look in my own heart, and that's the end of the story. And I want to suggest to us today that the gap between us and God is small. He is near. He is at hand. He is close to us. He is with us. He is alongside us. But the possibility still exists that what he asks of us doesn't feel entirely comfortable. We know this. But I just feel I need to remind us of it today, that that obedience sometimes comes with a cost, comes as an act of faith. It comes as something that is a challenge to us. So Ephesians 4.6 says that there is one God and Father of all who is over all. So God isn't my best buddy. He can call me into that place. And I, I, I love these testimonies where God gives people a choice and says, well, what do you want, Clive? You know, what do you want to do? And, and God, God raises us up. But that doesn't establish a precedent for us to say, well, now it's all mine. Now I don't need him. That takes us right back to the Garden of Eden. Takes us right back to what I'm going to know for myself. What's good and what is evil. So there's one God and Father who is overall. The second point so the first point is obedience is right there, dead center, but our obedience is focused on Him. The second point is that God gives gifts of leadership. So we read in Ephesians 4 this incredible hymn of unity, unity of the Spirit, one body, one spirit. One hope, one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, in all, through all, and, and whatever. But, and the but is where the thing changes course. There's this amazing picture of unity, but God gives grace to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there is not just Unity, there is also diversity, and the grace that God gives includes and if you read through Romans twelve there's a list of grace gifts there. one of the graces God gives is a grace of leadership, there are prophetic graces, there are serving graces, there are mercy graces, but one of the graces is the grace of leadership, and God gives to some, and yes, in one sense, we are all leaders. But in another sense, God raises up some with a grace of leadership upon their life, which is of service to us. And he goes on to name some leadership gifts here that we know as the fivefold ministries. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And then he says, he tells us what their purpose is. What's, what's the purpose of leadership in our midst? It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the sons of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of leadership in our midst is to take us to the destiny that God has for us, individually and corporately. That's what leadership is there for. It's to unlock, God speaks a word of destiny over us. It's amazing. You are a world changer. I had a, an email last night from, from a dear friend who he starts off, hello fellow world changer. And it was, it was great, but it was kind of, it reminded me that I still needed to enter into a measure of what is spoken. And, and leadership is in our midst to draw us out of those amazing words of destiny into making that a reality. And we can leave in, live in the glow of God's promise over our life, but leadership is vital to realizing that into something amazing. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it takes leadership to realize that takes leadership to bring us to that place. Otherwise, we're a bunch of people talking about the rugby and whatever else, which is fine. But God has an identity and a destiny over us, which takes leadership. So that's point number two. Point number three is that those exercising leadership need to think of themselves as servants of those they follow. So Matthew 20 famous passage and you can reference the washing of the disciples' feet in John 13 as well but let me read the passage from Matthew 20 verse 25 to 28 it says okay so the 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 sons of Zebedee are arguing about who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. And the ten are indignant with them because they wanted that place anyway. And Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership in the world is an opportunity for self-promotion. Leadership in the world is an opportunity for self-enrichment. Leadership in the world is an opportunity to enjoy privilege. We we have resisted from from the the moment we built this place, somebody who's long left hillside says, you wait, the next thing you're going to have pastor's reserve parking. He says like this. And I've been terrified ever since to even think of having pastors (laughs) reserved parking. We don't want to go there. We don't want to send a message, this is about privilege. This is is about those things because it isn't. But Jesus' words I want us to hear are addressed to his disciples, his apostles, to his future leaders. And he's saying to them, in a very short space of time, people are going to be looking to you for leadership. And when that happens, don't let it go to your head. But have this mindset in you that you are there to serve those who are looking to you for leadership. And that is what servant leadership is about. Saying, actually, I'm not going to abuse this position. I'm not going to take advantage of it. I'm here for the benefit of those that I lead. That was point number three. Point number four, which is the final one. So, how then, in conclusion, do we respond to leadership gifts that God gives into his body? And it's really very simple. We. Obey God and we follow leaders. And if we can remember that, then it will save us from all sorts of grief. We obey God and we follow leaders. And following, obeying is a f- kind of an absolute concept. It's fairly black and white. Following is a much more nuanced idea. It's, there's subtlety to it. It, can, it has permutations and contextual issues and all the rest of it. Obedience to God? Simple, straightforward. Following a leader? can get tricky sometimes, but we still need to do it. So following implies a number of things. It implies physical proximity. It implies being with, being near, engaging in activity with. It implies imitating, it implies pursuing, it implies uh, learning from, it implies a whole lot of things. So the church is, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. And immediately there's an implicit invite people into a following relationship, ultimately of Jesus but with a human intermediary. So Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is, that's, the, that's the appeal of leadership in the midst of this thing. Come with me and let us go somewhere good together, which is into our destiny. So the, the, the million-dollar question is, what do we do when we disagree with leaders? What do we do when we disagree with leaders? Well, if you, if you have the army model of leadership, what do you do? You either, <laughs> you either go AWOL or you just don't express it. You just shut up, zip up, and do what you're supposed to do. If you have the customer service model of leadership and you disagree with them, what do you do? Just say, "Nah." Not today, thank you. And I wanna, I wanna give us three, three options here, which some are definitely more helpful than others. And the first option when we disagree with our leaders is, is to say so. And this is not a bad option. This is an okay option. Dissension is permitted. Okay? It's okay not to agree with those who are leading you. It's really good to say so in honor, and in love and esteem, those things are really, really helpful. But it's still okay. Dissension is legal. But we do need to know this, that every place of disagreement carries a price tag with it. Every moment of saying, no, I don't think I agree with that, there is a cost attached to it. And we need to know, we need to ask ourselves ourselves, Is this cost really worth it? If you're a parent, the last thing you want is a kid who grows up being terrified to have an opinion about anything. Isn't that right? You want to send them out there into the world able to form their own opinions about things. But equally, a five-year-old who has a contrary opinion on every subject all the time That brings a cost into your life. Is that right? And actually, it's fine to disagree, but please can you choose your disagreements a little bit more selectively? Can you wait till it's really worth having a disagreement about this? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because disagreements erode. They cost, they distract, they delay, they do. A whole lot of things. So, first option to verbalize a disagreement, that's okay. But let's do it wisely and when necessary. The second option, which I suppose is really the customer service option, is to say nothing and back off. So, when Caleb is on worship and he stands there at the front and says, Won't you all come out to the front? There is a really, really interesting moment. <laughs> Yay for Caleb. Go, Caleb. You're my hero, Caleb. You're the one who's got the guts to do that. Because what do we do? There's the obedient few. I, I kind of shuffle two feet forwards from my chair because I'm in the front already, so it's not too much. But we, we kind of stand there or sit there and we say, I wouldn't be seen dead out the front there. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay here. Maybe if I pretend I didn't hear him, <laughs> then no one will notice. <laughs> and we do, don't we, if we're honest. When, when the church camp is announced, what goes through our little brains I must make sure I've got something else on that weekend. (laughs) I must make a booking now quickly so that I've got a good alibi because I don't do church camps. Do you do church camps? We don't do church camps. Can Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you see the erosion of leadership that takes place? Because we sit in that customer service model. Okay, I won't look at too many people too closely this <laughs> I want to offer a third option. <laughs> Do you want the th- who wants the third option? Okay, the third option is called the gift of submission. Ugh. Was that what you wanted or not? And hear this, submission is a gift. It is always a gift. Submission is something that we give freely that we don't have to, that we could not give. Otherwise, we're back in the army model. Okay. And it says, this is awkward. I haven't slept in a tent for 35 years. You know? My bad back is not going to cope with that very well and I don't like camp food and, 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 and it's probably going to rain. Yeah. <laughs> As it did. <laughs> Ask these guys, they got washed out big time. And it's going to be costly. There is a cost attached to this thing. But I choose because it is important that we have leadership in our midst. I choose to honor the leadership that's been given here. And I choose to give a gift of submission at this moment. I choose to align myself with a good heart, not a passive, do you know what passive aggressive is? That's when Caleb says, come out to the front. And we say, okay, I'm here. How's this working for you? you know? <laughs> Are you happy now? You know, I've done it. You know? that is, that's called being passive-aggressive. I've done the thing you want, but my heart is a million miles away. And I would really love this to fail spectacularly. <laughs> so that you'll never, ever put me in this position again. You know? And God will teach you a good lesson. Gift of submission says with a good heart I will come and in this awkward space out the front where I feel so self-conscious I will do my very best to enter into this worship in faith that your leadership will lead me into a good place because two things happen when we give a gift of submission. First is this, Jesus says he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward and exactly the same applies to leadership that he who receives a leader by the act of giving submission to that leader receives a reward God unlocks stuff into his life God unlocked stuff into Graham and Daphne through coming to the Passion Feast in abysmal weather and he did something in these guys which was amazing which they weren't anticipating, I suspect. <laughs> that's the first thing that happens, is we open the door for God to pour stuff into us that He wasn't going to do otherwise. And the second thing is that we strengthen the gift of leadership in our midst. If leadership is constantly resisted and undermined and ignored, do you think leadership will flourish? But the more we can choose to give a gift of submission. Yet when a leader says, I demand submission, something has gone badly wrong. That's kind of the opposite of a person saying, I demand that you serve me. That's also gone badly wrong. But it's our gift. It lies in our heart to say, okay, I choose this. I don't have to. I could express My disagreement, I could have Graham aside and tell him why a church camp is such a really appalling idea. I can do that. Or I can do what historically we've done, which is to quietly ignore him and hope he'll go away, hope he'll keep quiet. But there's this place of giving a gift of submission. This isn't really all about church camp today, that's not the point, it's just a good example. that actually unlocks a whole culture of leadership to rise up in this place because leaders are honored. If we don't receive leadership, then leadership ebbs away from our midst. But when we receive it, it's built up in our middle, in in the midst of who we are. And in the context of that, I do just want to mention again the leaders advance which is happening here. Um, It's part of our special of the day. You will have seen it up there. Um, If you have a heart to see this church thrive, Pete Carter is coming out from UK. He is going to speak about building amazing local churches. That's the whole theme of the conference. It's not this year focused on the kingdom changing the nation. It's focused exactly on what it means to build a great local church. And I want to uh, invite you, appeal to you, whatever phrase is appropriate, that if there is an ounce of leadership inside of you, if you can prioritize this thing, it is a Tuesday evening, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. Um, The cost for the whole thing is a special reduced rate for Hillside from that web address there, which is just 300 rand. If you can't make the whole thing and you want to come to individual sessions, it's 100 rand at the door per session. But hey, you might as well splash out the 300 and give yourself the option anyway. But if we are about building up Hillside to enter into the destiny of what God has called for us, then we need a whole new generation of leaders who are focused together on what this process looks like. So this is not an arbitrary conference for the sake of it. This is strategic uh, in taking hillside forwards into what we do. So amen. That's what I wanted to bless you with this morning. Um, Can I I ask you to do this as you go? Um, And it could get awkward and whatever. But if there is somebody here, and I'm not talking necessarily about the obvious people, but somebody here who has been a leader in your life, and it might be a connect group leader, it might be just someone who inspired you, whatever it is, why don't you go and just bless them on the way out and say thank you for fulfilling that role. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. But just We want to bless leadership in this house. We want to bless it, we want to see it grow, we want to see it thrive, and we want to see this place taken to a whole new level as a result. So, Father, we thank you that you give us graces according to your desire and your plans and your purposes. And we do pray for a raising up of a new generation and a new, um, newly inspired and envisioned and empowered leadership in this church. We do pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to know how to receive leadership because we are all led in different contexts. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to bless leadership in our midst, how to cause it to thrive, how to cause it to grow. And we pray, Lord God, that your destiny and your purpose would be revealed in our individual lives and our life together as a community. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.